Hi, Middle Age Gamers. Welcome back to another Middle Age Gaming Podcast brought to you Wednesday morning and Tuesday evening, depending where you are. If you're in the East Coast and in the States, happy Independence Day. I hope you had a good holiday. We are bringing you the latest news as usual. Six stories across a broad spectrum of technology and gaming. Things you can put on your list, things you should care about, things you can plan for next year in the case of some of these stories. So please do keep an eye out on. Please don't forget to check out our Spotify and all the other channels. As usual, let's jump straight into Adam's story. All right, so I'm going to be talking about the Tokyo Game Show, which is going to be happening in September. The correct days are September 21st to September 24th. And this is going to be the first time since COVID hit that they are going to be fully open. They are going to have the entire space that they normally would be using. Last year, it was open to the public. However, they were only using part of the space. So this year, it's going to take up the entire space. It's going to be open to everyone. They're going to allow children 12 years old and under to come in. Last year, they had age restrictions. So this is going to be the first Tokyo Game Show that's going to be 100% back to normal. And that's going to be a lot of fun. We also know who's going to be there. They're going to, the people that have said that they are committed to the show are Bandai Namco, Capcom, Hoyoverse, Koei Tecmo, Konami, Level 5, Xbox, Sega, Atlas, and Square Enix. We also know that Kojima Productions is going to be in the merchandise area. PlayStation is going to be in the indie area only, and Nintendo is going to have business meetings there, but they are not going to be in the public area. So if you've been looking forward to attending the Tokyo Game Show and haven't had the chance for the last four years, now is your chance. Ticket sales are going to go online for locals Japanese residents on July 8th and if you are overseas you can buy your tickets starting July 26th that would be a fantastic week ago but September is a finicky time here in Taiwan with school starting and Tokyo as well that's interesting goes I remember the last thing I heard was that it was relatively difficult to go into Japan you have to book by a travel agency you needed to be like on a guided tour and stuff so I, I think maybe I, know, I think the restrictions have probably already dropped that's cool. Tokyo Game Show sounds awesome. I'd love to go at some point, but it won't be this year. Not to mention, we have the Taiwan Game Show or Taipei Game Show that we should probably go to first before we go to the Japanese <laughs> Yeah, I saw that, but I'm not sure when the dates are for the Taipei Game Show. Do you? No, I'm not sure. The only thing I always have memorized every year is like June, July is Computex or Taiex or the equivalent of CES in Taiwan. But the Taipei Game Show, no, not too far. Ah, he says that this year it's already passed. It was February 2nd to February 5th. Oh, so we'd have to bank on February 2024. Nice. I'm sure. I feel like I mentioned that. On, oh, no, I think I did mention that about Computex as well. So then maybe that's the thing, right? We have to book our high-speed rail tickets and buy the tickets for the type of game show maybe in January next year. Yep. Sounds good. Game shows, always good. I think that the more the industry gets back to normal, the better. Yeah, it'll be interesting too to see because now it seems like for instance, E3 died because people are no, not no longer doing their announcements through these bigger events. They're doing their own events throughout the year. So it'll be interesting to see what they show here and display. So I'm curious to see if we're going to see anything new or if this is more just going to be kind of showing us how current projects are faring or that sort of thing. I think this sort of also deals or like relates to the, like the Asian mentality here. Like as long as I've lived here, I remember living in the States 20 years ago now. And like most people bought their stuff was like Amazon or Newegg or Best Buy online. You ship stuff to your house. 20 years ago, the death of retail was happening in the West. But here, like you still see boutique clothing stores and electronic stores and small electronic stores, big electronic stores. And retail is still very much a thing in Asia. So I, I think like 
any sort of Asian game show won't go away because people like to go to stuff. Like people like to do cosplay and go to the Taipei game show and dress up as this person or that person. So it's it's interesting. Maybe all of this stuff or these events will shift eastward. Yeah. Yeah, I think part of that's just given a couple of different things. One, in the States, people typically live more spread out, whereas here things are more compact. So I think people are just, typically Americans have bigger houses, whereas people here have smaller houses. So I think in general, people are more inclined to get out of the house than they are in the States because, you know, it is cramped and whatnot. So they just want to get out and about. So I think going out and shopping just gives them a good excuse to to get out. You know. And also things like free AC. That's yes, a huge yes, one here in yes, Taiwan. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You can come to Taiwan and you'll see people sitting in at 7-Eleven on the holiday just because they just buy like a $1 drink or a $2 drink or maybe ice cream and they sit there. And as long as you buy something, right, you get to sit there and it's socially acceptable to not take up time. But like right now it's 9 a.m. here in Taiwan. It is already 31 degrees Celsius. So what would that be? Like 90 degrees Fahrenheit? Give or take. Some, yeah, something like that. And like this is just the morning. Right? You can imagine as you get during the day, your electricity pulse can build up if you're turning on the electricity all the time. So like my AC is not on and I have this fan right next to me and it is hot. So it's Adam going back to Adam's free AC point. That's a good reason for you. Cool. All right. That was a really cool first story. Game shows was exciting. I have something a little bit more interesting just because you guys are searching for this and this caught me by surprise. And I'm like, I meant to talk about this to somebody. I think probably my brothers, but Steam has had a new update, right? a, a UI update. And I, it launched and I remember this is different and this is like nice and pretty and stuff. And, but yeah, if you're a Steam user and if you're an old Steam user like Adam and I are, my Steam account is back from, I think, when I was living in Massachusetts. Steam is, even you're looking at this now, it has got a lot of stuff going on. Like I will say, having seen the PlayStation 5 store and the Nintendo Switch store, there is a lot of functionality in Steam, but sometimes it's just too much, too many places to find stuff, profiles and activation things. And like Steam is like everything in there, right? But it's not great. And this is a step forward towards bringing Steam to be, I would say, more in line with industry standards. But the cool things I want to highlight with this Steam update is basically, of course, it looks much better, right? The other cool thing that I like is now you have the ability to take notes when you're playing games, right? So I feel like Edinburgh, the PlayStation 5 already has this, like you can make a note while you're playing the game. If it does, I've never used it. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. I feel like I had a conversation with someone about this, but it might not have been Adam. But no, so this is something like when I, I grew up, I watched my older brother play games and I remember he used to take notes when we played like Betrayal at Corundor or we played like some of these old RPGs, right? Like you had to take notes because otherwise like you wouldn't be able to solve these puzzles unless you had this amazing memory. But no, Steam allows you to take notes and it allows you to take graphical notes. So you can take screenshots and put this in document and attach it to this game. So if you're playing... Starfield for the first time, we're like, okay, here's this place. This has this particular mission, but I can't do it right now. I'm going to take a note and a picture and put this all in there. And you can on PC anywhere, right? Is shift tab, bring up your Steam overlay, check out your notes. Oh, okay. I remember now. So that is cool. I have not taken notes in a while. That's not true, right? That's actually not true. Because I do write down notes, but I write down notes on paper, which is not good, right? We've got to save the environment. Right? A bunch of stuff. There's now a hardware acceleration for a Mac since I'm now a Mac user. So before, um, when you were launching Steam on a Mac, it would do everything via the CPU, right? And with anyone who has an M1, M2, M3, 
you do have built-in GPU cores on the CPU, and now it can use those GPU cores to make the Steam menu and interface load better. And I did run the Steam on my Mac, and it does not run particularly great given all the power that's in there. So yeah, if you're a Steam user, this is something for you to check out. Maybe we haven't launched Steam in a while, but also just like the note stuff, like that is useful. If you're playing games, and especially as a middle-aged gamer who has horrible memory, I have horrible memory, getting worse and worse by the day. This is something that's very useful for you, especially like if you're playing a game and then you're like, okay, I'm going to play this with Adam for the next few months. And then you're like, oh my God, I just came back to Void Train, a card game. Oh my God, how do I play this game? And you can take notes and okay, this is where I was. This is what I was doing. This is how you play the game essentially. So that when you do come back to the game, you're like, oh, okay, I remember now. Thank you, Steve. But yeah, I know this is good and definitely good for people in our demographic. Yeah. So Adam, you know, Steam doesn't have any, PlayStation doesn't have any. Oh, I guess my question is, has PlayStation been like updating the UI like in the last year? Well, how has the UI changed between the PS4 and the PS5? First of all, in the PS4, you had themes. And this is something that people have been requesting for a while on the PS5, but they still don't have them. What it used to do on the PS4 is you had a theme and it was your background. And then you would have, you could scroll across and it would have all your little things highlighted at the top. And then you could select your game or whatever. And on the PS5, what happens is whenever whatever you're scrolling to, it'll do a full screen kind of like splash art of that game or that app or whatever. So you don't really need a theme anymore because you're never going to be looking at the background. You're always looking at the splash art of whatever game you're currently looking at. But yeah, so it does that and it has, you can, if you hold down the PlayStation button, then you can scroll through all your recently played games. Then if you go all the way to the right, you have your, you can go to your library and you can see either all the games you have installed or you can see all the games that you own. If you just press it once, you get your quick menu at the bottom and you can do things like work, choose your groups, which group you want to be part of, or your volume options and that sort of thing. So that's, I use that one quite a bit because sometimes I'll be playing games with my friends on from the States or whatever and my wife comes in and I've got my headphones on, so the room's just completely silent. She's I want to listen too. So it's like, ah, so then I can switch from audio from headphones to the uh, to the TV, and then she can hear the audio, but the microphone is still connected to my mic. So that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it's pretty intuitive. It's pretty simple. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Is there anything missing that you think PlayStation should fix? On the UI, the only thing that I would maybe do is similar to Steam where. When you go into the store, if it maybe could look at games that you've played and recommend new games. Okay. Because Steam does that where it'll say, oh, this game is recommended for you or you've played this. So we would recommend playing that. They don't, I don't think they have that in PlayStation. I don't think it has that. So if they had something like that, I think that would be really interesting. But other than that, uh, yeah, it's pretty intuitive. It's one of those things where uh, I've heard people on the Xbox side have complained about how Xbox hasn't updated their in a while whereas PlayStation has been changing it pretty much every generation so it does take some getting used to with each generation but they're pretty good about keeping it fairly intuitive so nice. Steam's done regular updates as long as I've been a Steam member for the last over a decade or so but it's always been under the hood updates of performance of crashes of things that are updating correctly so it's always been that I think only in the last five years or so they started caring about UI but my one thing I'd love for Steam to do is to become more graphical. Like I've only seen the PlayStation UI when I was at your house. So something like that, or like the Switch where it's very simple 
and hide everything inside there. So it is welcoming to people because I think, I don't think new people would like to look at 25 different menu items when you launch your Steam store. It's definitely not conducive to a good experience, but yeah. Cool. What is your second story? My second story is going to be about the Apple Vision Pro. And that is, you mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, so we've talked about what it is and all that already. But what happened was originally Apple was expecting to, their sales target was going to be about 1 million units. And now they've changed it to be roughly about half of that. So closer to 500,000. So this is one of those things where why are they doing it? I guess they went through and they figured, you know what, maybe this isn't as, it's not going to sell as well as we expect or whatever. But it looks like basically they all also have one I think one, not supplier, but one company is going to be assembling it, LuxShare. And that company said, we only have, we're only expecting to make about 400,000 units. But there are apparently two other suppliers in China who basically said that they are, they are meant to assemble 130,000 and 150,000 units respectively. Yeah, maybe the problem, I don't know if the problem is getting them chips ready. And they said, hey, it's a manufacturing issue. Or if they went back and they said, you know what, looking at this, we're not quite sure if maybe it's going to sell as well as we thought it was. So we're redoing our expectations, but it is going to be harder to get. And they also have revealed the price tag. It's going to be $3,499 US dollars. So basically $3,500 US. So pretty pricey. Exactly. Yep. And I saw this story as well. Yesterday, I heard that one of the reasons for the downgrade was that the manufacturing complexity is more complex than anything any of these suppliers have done before. I remember they had, I guess the industry term is called a bin rate, like here in Taiwan or in China or in Malaysia, like when it comes to CPUs or semiconductors, right? And they aim for a bin rate somewhere along the line of 2%, something like, and you think like, that's pretty low, right? But that's 2% of a freaking semiconductor's actually expensive where you're throwing away $100 out of a day or more than $100 per CPU and 2% of $10,000, you are probably throwing away $20,000 worth of CPUs or you're downgrading them. And then this is another conversation altogether. But now this to me is, and makes sense. This is the Facebook has a $1,800 headset. That is their top of the line. Valve, or not say Valve, HTC Vive, right? HTC from Taiwan. Their index headset has, I think the top line is $2,200. So this is the most expensive VR solution in the world, right? And I saw another thing, like CNET had an article where developers at the moment can have, can virtually test out their apps and say, this is what it would look like, but in a 2D interface. And then if you want to test out apps that you're making for the Apple Vision Pro, you have to be in one of seven cities around the world. And then you can go take your app there. You can say, hey, let me try this on at a closed door event. And that is the only time you can test out your app. Apparently, they are sending out Apple dev kits. But I would imagine you've got to be one of the like top tier programming outfits to even get one. So it's interesting. I don't know who's going to be people who's going to be making apps for these. Actually, I shouldn't say I don't know. Like we know the guys who make that famous art app Procreate on the iPad, right? They'll be one probably... I can imagine YouTube will be one to do YouTube on the Apple AR and have that like immersive studio stuff. PlayStation maybe, right? Because you did see that in the trailer of people playing NBA 2K3 on there. So this is cool. I think this is like, I remember when the talk was all about it, like, yeah, this is going to do so well. I can't wait for Apple. And then 
Apple was like, oh, guys, be careful. And we had all those stories about Apple rushing this out of the door where the, the actual developers at Cupertino in California were like, hey, this is not ready. But Tim Cook, the currency of Apple said, this needs to be ready now. I don't care. And a lot of like Apple insiders have said, this was rushed out the door. And, and again, it's like any company, right? Like Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook was like, we need to pivot away from ads and Facebook, which is why they want to do the metaverse, VR, and he was big into that. And Apple is like like 40-something percent of their net revenue is iPhones. And that's bad, right? You don't want to be that much of your revenue come from a single source, which is why Tim Cook has made this big push into VR. And they're like, okay, Facebook couldn't fix this. HTC couldn't fix this. Google couldn't fix this. Microsoft couldn't fix this. We're going to be able to do this. But the general consensus is this is not the solution. So we'll have to see. Yeah, I saw also they were saying analysts were expecting the first year that Apple will probably lose money on this and they're actually probably going to not do that well. But then the same analysts were saying that, oh, we expect that they could sell 20 million units in five years, which to me seems a bit high. 20 million seems pretty optimistic <laughs> to seeing how VR has yeah. performed in the past. No, I totally agree with you. I think when VR first came out, I was like, okay, people are going to adopt this. And I tried it. I'm like, okay, this is wonderful. This is fun. But this is to go back to the Chinese word mafa to play it all the time. And so I, I don't see this. And again, you talked about the, the production numbers. 500,000 in the next one year to 18 months. And then how the hell are they going to scale up that much? And where is the demand going to come from? The world is who's earning this amount of money that they're going to spend. What 20 million people are going to be spending $3,500 in VR? I don't see that. Apple's confident, and if any company has the cult of personality to pull it off, it's Apple. So that's true. And they do make good devices. Like I, I started off with an iPad. I'm like, this is pretty good. It's pretty nice. It's run well. And I took my iPad to class for years, and kids rub their grubby fingers over it, and it still runs. It works fine. MacBook, amazing. I got an iPhone recently, and that's amazing as well. So the quality is there, and I don't have a doubt about the quality, but I just the quality and the price have to be somewhat related. And I think this is, it's going to have the quality, but I think the price is just too steep. I think too, part of the issue is this is definitely sold as a, a luxury good in a sense. But if you look at one of those things where I guess it's, if you don't typically see luxury goods that exist in a bubble, usually luxury goods are higher end tier of something that is available to the masses it's just on a higher end like a for example would people be driving ferraris if 95 percent of the population didn't even have a car if the only car that existed were ferraris would people be buying ferraris no it's just because we have cars but i have a nice car or a louis vuitton bag so your average person has a bag it's just these are nicer bags and with vr or something like that are the elite going to be buying it if the common folk aren't even using it because it's just what is the utility of that when the vast majority of people don't even have access to this sort of thing exactly yeah they're just like it's just kind of like you look at phones in the 80s and most people didn't have cell phones some people did but they weren't like super fancy they were just these kind of blocky kind of functional things exactly. but they weren't that common until the masses started using it and i think once the masses start using it that's when people can start really developing the technology as well because then you need it as opposed to only a few people are using it. So is the cost of R&D really all that worthwhile? But yeah, That's true. I still think the eyes on the outside is a bad decision. 
I think it's just <laughs> I think it's just sapping power and un unnecessary resources. But we'll see. We'll see. Exactly. Yeah. No. This is interesting. We'll just have to wait and see. All right. My second story is the game that you guys would have heard. It is the first roguelike game that I technically finished. This would be Hades One. And Hades 2, of course, is something that you guys are excited about. And it is supposed to be coming in Q3 of 2023. And this you play as Hades' his son, Hades' his daughter, which we don't know. There was the guy had a sister from the first game. But, you yeah, know, coming to Switch, of course, and Super Giant Games, the guys who made Transistor, the guys who made another game, which is, oh God, I can't remember what it's called. But, you yeah, know, wonderful games. So what I wanted to do today for you guys was update you, like, what do we know so far? Hades 2 casts you as the immortal princess of the underworld, where you will explore a bigger and deeper mythic world, vanquishing the forces of Titan, of the Titan of Time, Kronos. With the aid of Olympus, Melano seeks to defeat Kronos to save her father, Hades. Oh, that's interesting. And the gameplay, of course, will be the same, but it, it like there'll be, I guess, different, like a more complex level or another layer of the way you can do stuff with your weapons. So you can infuse your weapons with night while your weapons of night with magic. And as you fight down in the old game, basically like you had, as you played and as you did runs, you'd unlock different weapons, but that was it, right? And you could unlock different abilities for weapons. So I think they put another layer on top of this, which is cool because with new games, you always like, like new stuff, right? And so there'll be some new characters as well. And that is about all that we know so far that has been revealed. I would imagine August or September is when we'll learn about new information that's heading into Q4 anyway. And now this is Hades 2, something to keep an eye on from. And we haven't had too much, like the gameplay trailer was released last year in December. I'm still worried just because it has been a few months. We've had sort of details trickle out via the Supergiant Twitter account. And we have not seen other gameplay otherwise, which makes me think maybe there might be a delay. And again, because this was like a lot of people's game of the year on the Switch anyway, when it did come out. And not even on the PC, like people love this game. It ran amazing on the Switch, plus fun, beautiful music. But, and then when you have that sort of expectation, there as also ties into us talking about Starfield and Skyrim before, you need to live up to it because if you don't live up to it, as what happened with Bethesda and Fallout 76, you ruin your reputation a fair bit. So, yep, keep an eye out for Hades 2. Follow Supergiant on Twitter. That's the best place I have found any way to keep up to date. And then we'll see what happens. Yeah, I was watching a video on IGN just the other day and they were asking the question, are games announced too early these days? For instance, we announced what was it, the Elder Scrolls 6, five years ago, and then they said that now it's, they haven't even started yet, so it's going to be at least another five years, so 10 years between when it comes out and when you finally get to play it. Final Fantasy 15 was a similar thing, where I think they were like an eight years in production and that sort of thing. And eight years? I think it was something like that, wasn't it? Because it was originally supposed to be Final Fantasy 13 versus, and then they ended up changing it to Final Fantasy 15. So it was in production, and, and yeah, and they just kind of like overhauled it and completely scrapped it and redid it and all sorts of things. So it was in production for a really long time. But yeah, like another example that they had was, I guess similar to Hades 2, was the Hollow Knight Silk Song, which was announced quite a while ago. And then we just haven't heard any news on it since. And we obviously know it's coming out. A lot of people were expecting to see it at the Xbox showcase, and it didn't show up. 
So there's still no news on when this game is coming out. And it's just kind of like, okay, so you've told us that this game is coming out. You gave us kind of a teaser and then just nothing for years. And then it, people kind of lose faith a little bit. Like for instance, for me, I remember when the PlayStation 5 was originally announced and they had all these games that were coming out with it. One of them was Pragmata. We only just got an update on Pragmata this year at the PlayStation thing. And then basically it just showed a little bit of gameplay. So it's kind of like, we still know almost nothing about that game. Another game that I was really looking forward to was Little Devil Inside. And we haven't heard anything about them. We didn't hear anything about them for years. And then they had a trailer saying, yeah, it still exists. And then it's been another year since that. We haven't heard anything. So it's like, does this game exist or not? Should I be excited for it or should I just give up and move on to other things? So yeah, it is. Uh, so like with this, because we've known there was going to be a Hades 2 for a while now, right? We were with guests. I guess it was just confirmed last year. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, if you're going to announce something, I feel like I agree with what they were saying is if you're going to announce something, you need to have that train rolling from that from when you announce it to when it comes out. You should have a relatively steady, you should have some sort of plan to keep people engaged with it and keep the hype up. If you're going to announce something and then just go quiet for months at a time, yeah, I don't know if that really helps the game or not, because that just gives people an opportunity to forget it and then come back later and be like, oh, yeah, I remember they talked about that. But I feel like at that point, the hype has died down and you're not going to get back to that original level that you originally had.